0: You've got to have a a relationship with with your suppliers and your partners in the market that helps you understand what is their motivation.
1: Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future with your host, author, and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your business. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Greg Shoemaker. Greg is the Global Head of Supply Chain Central and Direct Procurement Services at HP. In his capacity as the Chief Procurement Officer, Greg leads procurement to the printing and the personal systems groups, and he is responsible for $23 billion in spend. Through Greg's leadership, the HP procurement team received numerous awards and recognitions for innovation and leadership in supply management and for its supply chain, social and and Environmental Responsibility Efforts. I have collaborated with Greg over the last 11 years on a series of strategy efforts, and it has always been an adventure to work with his leadership team. And so naturally, I've been looking forward to this conversation today. Greg, it's great to have you here. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Aviv. Well, it's great to be here, and uh, thank you for that uh, for that introduction. Uh, and I'm, I'm very excited to share my experiences with your, with your listening group. Well, so
1: let's jump right to it. You are leading the supply chain procurement function for many years, actually. What do you enjoy the most in your role? What gives you energy every day when you get up and come to work again?
0: Well, it's changed over the years, you know, in the beginning, uh, I, I had followed a a series of executives uh, in the IT industry with with Compaq and HP that uh, had uh, been a little bit of a merry-go-round, kind of changed leadership every every year or two. And and back then, my goal was to 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 put together a team that would be successful consistently for for many years. And so that that has been, uh, kind of, uh, the overriding theme that I've tried to, to, uh, pursue, uh, for, for, quite some time. I think, you know, more recently, uh, that, that focus has changed, although I'm still, uh, very much, uh, energized about setting up the team for, for future success and continue to work a lot on that. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, uh, more recently, it's really about helping the company to stay successful in this very challenging environment on a, on a year-to-year basis. So, uh, it, it has evolved over time and, and continues to evolve.
1: And so, setting your team to success in the early stages, what were the, the one or two or three top focus areas? How did you approach that opportunity and challenge?
0: Well, I think you have to take a, a broad view of the environment that you're working on. And, and of course you have to be uh short-term and, and tactically successful because uh, we are in a, you know, in the, in the American business environment, you're, you're only as good as your last quarter and only as good as you're projecting for the next quarter. And so uh, you, you have to have that, that daily operational and execution focus, but at the same time, you have to you have to think out a few years ahead and and look at what's over the horizon, not just what's on the horizon, and, and really plan and strategize for the future.
1: And you commented on setting now your, your function and, and the company to success in the tough environment. Let's let's reflect back a bit because even the last seven or ten years represented many internal company changes and you also led a function that needed to deal with volatile markets and so this for you has been a what we call a VUCA world a volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous what what are some key lessons that you can share about leading resiliently in VUCA environments
0: Well, I I think, uh, I think first off, you have to stay grounded. Uh, And what I mean by that is you have to really know what success looks like, and evaluate that uh, as you as the conditions around you change, because success may change as well. But, but you have to really identify what what a success looks like and make sure you're grounded on that as, as the environment changes. And, uh, you know, I think uh, one of the ways that we've, been able to successfully do that is, is make sure that we've got a grounding in, in the facts, you know, in the data and what the, what the uh, the environment uh, is leading to you towards from a, from a what success looks like and and make sure that you've got a good understanding of that environment uh, with with the facts and uh, and as much uh, information you know relevant information as you can acquire and put to use on. On uh, you know how you may need to modify what you're doing in order to be successful:
1: you and I have spoken around this theme for years, and on a number of occasions, you, you described to me how you are seeing an inflection point in the market, which often represented deciphering beyond the data, intuiting where, where the market is, is going based on, on incomplete. Information because we never have complete data. Give me a comment on this: the, the place of judgment call and and the importance of understanding your markets well, such that you can indeed develop intuition and rely on your judgment.
0: Well, that's a that's an interesting question. You know, I have an engineering background, and so you know, as an engineer, uh, you always try to gather all the facts that you can, and and. Both in engineering and business, you don't always have all the data. But as an engineer, you can kind of extrapolate, uh, you know, based on the data that you that you do have. In business, you know, there's a lot more shades of gray, and I think you can use those same principles. But uh, when you extrapolate out what what could happen or what 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 your intuition tells you you need to have uh, a lot more uh, information about the companies and the people that you're dealing with and what are their, what makes them tick? What, you know, you, you've got to have a, a relationship with, uh, in my case, with your suppliers and your partners in the market uh, that helps you understand what is their motivation? What are their agendas? And, and that I think helps guide you, uh, you know, as you try to extrapolate, uh, you know, a future outcome when you don't have all the data that you need. So, uh,
1: what would be an example, Greg, where that knowledge of your suppliers and and their insight to their motivations and concerns? Can you share an example where that insight led you to? Make a decision or take a position in, in in the market relative to to the competition, where say the the market went in the in the zig and you went in the zag uh, to to go opposite to the market because you you understood something that others did not.
0: Well, there's probably a, a couple of examples. You know, one that comes to mind is uh, in uh, a year or so ago, one of the a big provider of uh of lcd panels uh decided to exit a certain portion of the market where they weren't being profitable anymore and uh and in fact it it was more than just an intuition but what they came and told us they were going to do that but they did that before they told anyone else by many many months and i think Hmm. I think the reason they did that and allowed us to change our strategy was because of the relationship that we had, and and where we had been transparent with them about, you know, in the past changes in our our strategy. Uh, they did likewise, and so, and so that's kind of a moniker for how the rest of it happens. You know, it's I think through those long-term relationships where you have some transparency, you've built up trust over the years. You, you get insights or or you can draw insights from just uh, you know comments that they're making to you about about the future of their business or where they're headed
1: how have you approached developing and sustaining such long-term relationships where practically your personal mutual trust and respect and and relationships with some of those strategic suppliers benefited you and and your team and the company in a differential way. what what were the the guiding principles that enabled you to build that relationship Give, give me both a your your philosophy of relationship building and perhaps a, another for instance uh, story that would exemplify it if you can.
0: Well, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's really not that difficult. It's, it's, uh, it's in some regards, the golden rule, you know, of treating people like, like you want to be treated and, uh, and having transparency. Now in, now, in business, you can't have complete transparency because some things are company secrets or intellectual property or, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, financial information that can't be shared publicly. Those are things obviously that, uh, due to uh, you know company policy, moral and ethics, you just you just can't share. But uh, but I think the point is that you want to be transparent. You want to be as forthright as you can possibly be. You want to have fair dealings. You know we're in a very tough business, and uh, and so we have to compete very aggressively, and 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 so we sometimes have to carry out very tough negotiations, and. And we don't always agree on on you know the terms and conditions and that can be uh you know quite challenging at times. But I think at the end of the day, uh there's no subterfuge or no real hidden agendas with our supply base. They they know where we're headed and and we we treat them you know with with fairness and respect. And I think uh we get that likewise. Uh you know, an example of that might be that we We were conducting a very tough negotiation a number of years ago with a with an Asian company that had uh, come to the stage to negotiate with us on a contract that had uh, some pretty large implications because it was intended to be a a multi-year deal. And uh, and it was going to be a tough negotiation. And we stayed on site, uh, you know, up through like midnight of that night and uh it was extremely tough uh and uh you know we uh, we finally came to an agreement but at the end of the day I, you know they told us that uh as tough as it was you know they knew they could get to a, a fair agreement with us which they did and right that was, just, that was just the history that they had with us All right.
1: yes history of fairness of transparency and something they they knew that they could trust and and also based on long-term relationships of having gone through similar negotiations in the past exactly what what are some of the, the crises or natural disasters or geopolitical events in recent years that tested you and your organization in a significant way and forced you to develop quick, uh, remediations and contingencies. There's plenty of, of those around in, in the last few years. I'm, I'm curious if you'd highlight one or two, the kind of lessons that you're able to harvest from those experiences.
0: Well, there, there, as you indicated, there have been many, right? There was a flood in Thailand in 2011. Uh, there's been the, uh, the uh, volcano in Iceland that shut off uh, air air traffic for a while. More recently, just a, a few years ago, was the uh, uh, the uh, tsunami that devastated the nuclear power plant in Japan, Fukushima. Uh, that one probably uh, had some some of the best lessons, and you know there were there were tens, if not hundreds of suppliers, uh, and, you know, all the way through the supply chain down three or four levels that were, that were impacted. And, uh, of course we immediately put our, our war room together, so to speak, uh, where we were, you know, actioning our backup plans and second sourcing and inventory, uh, uh you know, uh, tracking, uh, uh thing you know ingredients and and you know I'll tell you one thing that we did learn about that is there were there were a number of suppliers who whose employees suffered personally mm. you know, in devastating ways and some of those that we knew about uh we shied away from right we didn't we didn't really reach out to them immediately uh, because we knew you know they had more important things to go work on and and to help their people than to get their factories running again, and uh, in one in one particular case, we didn't go see this particular supplier until maybe two or three months after after the event, and uh, and they expressed such gratitude to us for that because you know they mentioned that you know some of our competitors were showing up the next week and they had no time for them because they were trying to save their, their employees' families. I think the lesson there is that there's always a personal and human aspect to business, and you, you need to keep that in mind, I think, at all times and and make sure that whatever actions you are taking are the right things to do, you know, morally, ethically, uh, and, of course, uh, legal and, and policy-wise. But, uh, you know, there's an example where we... We gained a lot of, uh, I would say, relationship equity by staying away, and, right, uh, and letting them, you know, get back on their feet.
1: In those um, war room situations, when you're managing through a crisis, what what are the some of the the learnings about the kind of behaviors and the leadership practices that best lead a team through um, high pressure situations you you need to solve uh, and there aren't clear or obvious answers. What, what are some lessons and practices from those experiences?
0: Well, I think it's, you know, again, it's a lot of us just using good common sense. It's, it's staying, staying grounded in, in what you can actually affect. It's, you know, keeping your cool and keeping, you know, keeping things as objective and unemotional as possible you know, acting on the facts themselves and not on conjecture. And when you don't have the facts, you know, you just have to, you have to work to get, get those facts and, and stay, uh, stay cool, calm, and collected. And, uh, you know, that's probably one of the the biggest challenges is that, uh, you know, when the production line is potentially in jeopardy and there's a lot of pressure from, Everyone in the company, including your your all your stakeholders, you know, that's probably the most critical time to make sure that you're you have uh, you've keeping things under control and and viewing things in a in a very objective and, and fact-based manner.
1: Yes. Yes. What um what enables you to adapt and be agile and, and to stay, as you say, calm? cool and collected and composed <laughs> and and appear to be uh level-headed in in your decision what what specifically helps you through such times
0: well I, you know i think it's just a matter of attitude i think it's uh it's understanding that uh, no matter how big the problem is uh if you don't resolve it today you know you'll have that problem to solve tomorrow and uh you know i i'm i'm, I'm not hoping to sound flippant, but, uh, you know, there's only so much you can address in a, in a given time period. And, and I think you, you try to prioritize those things and those things that you, you can't get to that you, uh, you know, you move to another day and you make sure that your stakeholders understand, uh, that you're pursuing solutions in a fact-based and prioritized manner. And most, and most people will, will understand that. But I think, uh, that uh you know I've learned over the years that uh, uh, you know you usually come to a better solution when you're able to keep things under control and and use the facts and get you know and value other people's opinion as well and right. make, sure, make sure that you're using uh, their experience uh, to the best you know best outcome that you can
1: when you reflect on your many uh, years of of negotiation what's another memorable negotiation story that uh, you can tell
0: <laughs> well uh i remember actually having a uh an internal negotiation uh, as it were where where uh there was a couple of parties involved and and one of them just really lost his cool and got quite emotional and Uh, you know, I had to try to, uh, and actually I did kind of get things back in control. And, uh, and, you know, during the conversation, I, I said, look, you know, none of us are going to speak about this again. We're going to forget about this and just move on and objectively uh, resolve this issue. And, uh, and I think that meant a lot to the person that, uh, that, uh, you know, had the, uh, the emotional outburst. And, uh, because uh, you know we were able to kind of put that behind us, and uh,
1: so that goes with this principle of never forget that it is business, but it also is personal, and never uh, forget to remember to integrate the human factor. It, it is about human beings. We we are not like machines. We do have feelings, thoughts, experiences, and and somehow finding a way to include that uh, dimension of the human experience. Uh, is is a recurring theme in being successful both internally leading your team and certainly with suppliers and partners
0: absolutely Uh, you know i think uh you know i've said a lot about keeping the emotion out of it but you do have to uh recognize the the human element and and what makes relationships matter and and what makes relationships successful and uh and then, based on that, you you can have a much better shot at you know having a, a positive outcome with the with the business challenge that you might have.
1: You have encouraged your team to take calculated risks, by which I mean taking smart risks when the timing is right. Give me, if you can, an example of a smart risk-taking, and reveal a bit your, your thinking process. I know you already said, look, it is it is about common sense. It is about being grounded in, in the data. So I, I understand that side of the conversation. What else goes into the right kind of risk-taking in business?
0: Well, I think you have to, uh, again, make sure that you're grounded in the data, both on a <clears throat> on a, a, a look backwards and a look forward. So, you know, it's kind of like a a sporting event, for example. You know, let's say you're you're pitching a baseball game and it's the third time through the lineup that you're facing these same hitters. Well you and the catcher know what worked and what didn't work in the in the previous at-bats. And you'll use that to, to shape your strategy for the current at-bat. I think business is is very much the same. And and that's, you know, so to take risks, I think you need to understand, you know, what what happened in the past, what worked and what didn't work. Make sure you have that data. And then if you can use that to extrapolate, you know, uh, potential future outcomes that can, you know, help shape your decision about a risk. You know, you shouldn't take risk just, uh, you know, uh, without uh, considering, you know, all the alternative outcomes and, and making sure that you're prepared for the downside if it were to occur, uh, uh, as well as the upside. And, right. Uh, you know, right. I think uh, probably the best examples are, are where we're trying to see where the market is going when you have a vol, let's say you have a volatile pricing uh, component or, or component that is very volatile in its pricing, um, you know that's usually an opportunity to try to hedge by making some uh, inventory investment that's that's more than what you currently need, and you know those can be challenging situations, and you you're almost never going to get it always right, but I think if you prepare for that uh, and have your your analytics done in such a way that you know what the ups and downs are, then you're in a position to to take that risk and, and deal with the outcome.
1: So let me now ask you about the, the element of risk outside business, more in the personal adventure side of life, because I know that you love the elements, you love the out- outdoor, and um, you have explored the African safaris and fishing in the Gulf and and range of, of experiences um what would you say was the scariest adventure uh, you have encountered
0: <laughs> well uh you know you you would you might think that hunting in africa might have some and it did have some scary scary things occur but probably the scariest one was uh fishing in the gulf uh, a few years back uh, I was in a relatively small boat with uh, two of my best fishing buddies and we were probably about 20 miles offshore and uh, we were going to head in and I couldn't get up on a plane and the back end of the boat was just weighted down and I opened the hatch up and my bilge was completely full of water (laughs) and we were like minutes from sinking Hmm. And, uh, and what had happened was my one of my uh, bait well pumps had dislodged itself and uh and, and was pumping water directly into the bilge and uh we probably had i don't know how much a thousand pounds of water in the back of the boat uh, i'm guessing but you know so so we quickly moved one guy to the front of the boat and the other guys bailing out the back of the boat and, and i've got it throttled all the way down but still and just creeping along and uh i was really scared that we were going to sink uh, but we didn't we got out of it and so uh, uh there was a little bit of a lesson in further preparation there
1: <laughs> yes in
0: making making sure that all your pump hoses are uh, securely fastened before venturing out into the open ocean.
1: <laughs> yes yes as we approach uh the, the conclusion of uh, this uh, dialogue, and let me ask you this, uh, you're probably towards the, the later stage of your professional career. Did you imagine, did you anticipate that you'll be doing what you're doing now when you started? How much has this been uh, a planned journey or a surprise?
0: Well, I think it's been a bit of both. Uh, you know, I as I mentioned earlier, I started my career as a, as an engineer, uh, actually worked in the oil business for a few years. Uh, went into business for myself, building custom metal buildings. And, you know, I've done a lot of things. And, uh, when, uh, when I went up to work in the computer industry, it was also as a, as a production engineer. And, uh, I did have a plan to uh, to want to you know move up the management chain into a a vice president role, uh, and, and actually had had a, had a bit of that laid out on paper. Uh, and that's something I I mentor now and and suggest to young folks coming into their their careers that they should have some sort of long term plan. But I never I never in my wildest dreams really at that stage thought about procurement or even business-related uh, activities, I was really thought I'd be uh, on the technical path. So that has been a, quite a surprise and quite a fulfilling one. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been quite challenging and quite rewarding, and uh, I never would have really thought that I'd, that I'd be at this stage uh, right now.
1: What advice would you give yourself if you were twenty five again today searching to find and develop your professional path?
0: Well, I would probably uh spend more time uh learning some additional languages
1: huh.
0: <laughs> right I actually told a young man uh, a few years ago to study international marketing and learn Mandarin. yes. Uh, which you know i think there's great demand for that uh but i think you know probably uh you know i i I have continued to to advance my education it took me a while to decide to do that that's probably something i would have done sooner uh you know i didn't go back to school to get a master's in business until i was 20 years out of my my uh you know undergraduate work uh I, i might have. Done that sooner. Although I think it is important to uh, get some business experience before going back for that secondary degree. Uh, I think it's, I think it's easier. Uh, you have a, a broader knowledge of the world, and and uh, you know the things that uh, uh, might help you in a in, a, in another uh, you know education path. Um, that's probably the thing that I would uh, maybe do a little differently.
1: So you and I have collaborated over the last, I don't know, 11, 12 years now, I think on five different times, you brought me to work with you and and your team. What's the one or two most uh, important elements that you took from our collaboration and, and work together?
0: I think the biggest thing, uh, Aviv, that you've helped us with consistently over the years is that you help us to develop a, a common vision of the future and a and a common set of initiatives to go work on to realize that future. And uh, you know, and it's all about galvanizing a team and getting a team to head in the same path. And you know, I do like to use the sports analogy. Uh, you know, if if your team is not you know, working towards the same goals and have a a common set of of plays to get there, or initiatives in the business vernacular, uh, it, it's almost impossible to achieve that. You know, whatever that goal is. So, uh, you know, that's the thing that I think uh, our work over the years has really helped to uh, to galvanize and to uh, make a reality and and ultimately help us to be successful is you know, deciding what are those, those common, important initiatives that will help us achieve that, that future, future goal and, and position that we want to be in.
1: Greg, share with me, just before we sign off, what, what is the one or two most important advice you've received earlier in life from a teacher, from a mentor, from a parent that you carried with you throughout your life?
0: You know, a, a couple of things. One, uh, most of my mentors were were my family, and my father was a, a coach and an educator for his entire career before he passed away. And he told me two things. One, uh, two things that I'll never forget. The first one was to, you know, let those words roll around in your mouth a bit before they come out. And, uh, and the meaning there is that, you know, you you should be thoughtful about what you say to people and and make sure that you're adding value and not just talking just to be talking because words are very important. Uh, And the second thing he said was that uh, the mind cannot learn when the mouth is in motion. And uh, you know, what that really means is that you should be a very good listener, right? And listen to and absorb what people have to say and then respond after being thoughtful you know uh via the the previous uh note and then there, there's one other person that I, that i need to mention that was very early in my career uh i was when i first went to work out of college as an engineer i was at a, a vertically integrated company a small oil field uh oem producer of, of offshore drilling equipment and they put me through this rotation program and the first person I was with was a man who was running a drill press. This is back before CNC machines, and he was running a Bridgeport drill press. All day long, he drilled holes in metal. Uh, pretty boring job, right? But I sat with a guy for three or four days and listened to him talk about his philosophy of life. And he happened to be a preacher at a, a small Baptist uh, church in a very small town in Texas you know, on Sundays. And so, uh, you know, the learning there was that you can learn something from almost everybody in life, regardless of what their appearance is or what you might think their station in life is. You can learn something from everyone. And I've tried to carry that through my entire uh, professional career.
1: That's a beautiful legacy lessons to, to carry and to communicate and to teach, uh, so thank you for for these. Greg, where will you be in ten years?
0: Probably fishing in the Gulf of Mexico.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you know I'm hoping to. Uh, I'll I'll be retired, I'm sure, and uh, I'm I'm hopeful that I can still uh, make a positive impact on on people through through relationships, through my experience, you know, and maybe there's some volunteer work I'll, I'll be doing and uh, and maybe helping my family to, to realize their goals.
1: That's great. Uh, this has been a, a rich uh, journey with you. Uh, thank you for those thoughts and ideas you shared with us and with people listening to Create New Futures. And thank you for the partnership over a long period of time, uh, and and the adventurous projects that we collaborated on always has been exciting to uh, engage with your team.
0: Well, thank you, Avi, for inviting me to share uh, my experiences and and our our experiences together. I I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully good things will come out of this for, and maybe a, a kernel or two for those who are listening.
1: Here we are. We've landed this Create New Futures journey and it's your time to take action. Here are a few steps you can take this week. First, build long-term relationship with partners and clients. Relationships that are based in understanding, fairness, mutual respect and trust. Second, understand your ecosystem and markets deeply to develop an intuitive sense of the dynamics and forces shaping these environments such that you will be able to make judgment calls and choose a course of action. And third, in crisis, remember you lead by staying grounded, by preserving common sense and by keeping your cool and keeping your focus on what you can affect. One more thing. You can reach me directly by phone and on email to explore how we can help you and your team create your new future. See you next time.